Jonathan Cooper is the president of McDonald Real Estate Group, a member company of leading real estate companies of the world and Western Canada's largest independent full-service real estate firm with over 20 offices and 1,000 residential sales agents covering Vancouver, Victoria, Fraser Valley, and beyond. Jonathan has returned home to McDonald after a six-year tenure with Holborn Holdings, a property and development firm. He's motivated, energetic, and he ensures that his vision for the future is guided by the understanding that no matter what the industry or the economy throws at us, one constant remains. Success in real estate centers on connections between people. At its heart, real estate is all about relationships, and McDonald agents feel that vision. They're empowered with the tools and the training and the company culture that they need to serve as the trusted advisors that their clients need today more than ever. Let's hear from Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Jessica. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you. Thank you for joining. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. (sighs) Well, um, it is exciting times, lots to talk about. Um, You are in the midst of, as we all are, some interesting economic and brokerage changes, lots of growth, lots of opportunity. Um, let's let's break it all down. But before we do that, talk to us a little bit about McDonald Realty. What's your geographic region, growth services? Just give us a snapshot of who you are as a company. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for this opportunity. Uh, McDonald Real Estate Group, which is, of which I'm the president, is, you could sort of think of that as the parent company. And then within that, we have four divisions, the biggest of which is McDonald Realty, which is our residential division, which has 16 or 17 offices, all in British Columbia, head offices in Vancouver, BC. We have offices, in, three offices in Vancouver. We have an office in Victoria on Vancouver Island, which is actually the provincial uh, government capital. We have... Uh, five or six offices in the Fraser Valley, which is a rapidly growing uh, part of Metro Vancouver, um, kind of east of Vancouver proper. And, and then a few other offices kind of in and around those areas for a total of about, we have about a thousand residential agents in the company. And then on the, the other three divisions, so residential sales, we have a standalone commercial brokerage with three offices, about 45 brokers, Vancouver, Victoria, and um, Fraser Valley. and we have a property management division, uh, which about roughly a $6 billion uh, portfolio of everything from single investor units to uh, commercial buildings, uh, multifamily buildings. And then we have a project marketing division, which I think some of my American colleagues call new home sale- sales or developer sales. So yeah. that's that's selling new product and pre-selling new product for our developer clients. So all told, we have about 1,100 to 1,200 staff and agents in those four divisions, about 20 offices in British Columbia. Canada right now, getting back to the market, has has been, as, as many regions across the world right now, facing an inventory crunch when it comes Absolutely. to residential real estate. Um, pricing has taken a little bit of a dip recently, not a cliff, um, but a little bit of a dip, right? But you're seeing sales. I mean, this is the potential for some really healthy activity here. Um, in some cases, maybe a little help uh, from the from the bank of mom and dad. Um, who are the folks that are really the most primed right now to buy in your market? Great question. So, yes, inventory is at, is at one of its lowest points in the last twenty five years. Uh, so, if you look at the 
Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, um, in which we have quite a few offices. You know, your, your inventory is in kind of the eight to 9,000 units, which again is, there have been a few points slightly lower than that in the last kind of three decades, but it's probably in the bottom five, let's put it that way. Um, however, notwithstanding that, and, and, or, and you could say because of that, but notwithstanding the relatively high interest rates we have, further to your point, prices after having sort of bottomed out in sort of December, January are starting to climb. Uh, partly, I think, because interest rates have stabilized uh, somewhat. And partly because of uh, low, very low, persistent low vacancy in the rental market, people still need to live somewhere. And this is a whole separate topic, Jessica. But you know, residential real estate housing is not a bottle of Dom Perignon or a trip to Hawaii, right? Which is nice to have, but um, a luxury item or something that you can do without. It's a shelter is a a primary uh, need. So if if <laughs> provided that you have a positive kind of on a trend line, positive economic and population growth, which we've had for a long time and constrained supply, that's going to keep upward pressure on both sort of rental rates and, and home prices. So, but back to your question. So who's, who's buying right now? We have a ban of a, a, a national, like federal government ban on foreign buyers. So uh, there are some caveats to that, but basically in residential real estate, you could say then by definition, most of the buyers are Canadians, the vast majority. And uh, yeah, anything right now that's priced reasonably is selling with multiple offers in general. Yeah. When it comes to those that rental market that you're referring to, there's there's some buzz in the United States um, about sort of concerns, especially in our in our very buyer seller residential real estate focused market, that we're turning into a little bit of a there, there's sort of a, a renter's mentality that's taking hold. Um, and that American dream, and I know I'm speaking to a Canadian here of home ownership, but I know it's something that, that Canadians aspire to as well, is something that I think a lot of those entrant level folks are giving up on a little bit, given the inventory issues, given the last couple of years. Um, there, there's some disheartening um, there's some disheartening feelings out there. Are you seeing the same thing? And if so, how are your agents approaching those conversations with those folks who feel stuck in that rental cycle? Absolutely. Great question. There's a lot. Wow. <laughs> we have to break that down into a few sub-questions. <laughs> That's great. No, there's because there's so many different um, social, economic, socioeconomic, cultural values, sort of questions that tie into that into that question. Absolutely. You know, home ownership. And yeah, you mentioned the American dream. Uh, I am a dual citizen for the record, so I can relate to that. Um, but yeah, no, home ownership is, is still very, very important to um, the majority, I would say, broad swaths of the market here. Um, also in part driven by uh, Canada to, to a great extent as a country built by immigrants. My wife's an immigrant from Asia. And um, primary home ownership, especially for Asian immigrants, but many other immigrant communities as well, is a real goal and a priority and something that they prioritize over investing or spending money on other things, candidly. I'm speaking in general terms, right? right. But um, one way in which that's addressed, and you, you reference this, is the bank of mom and dad. And it's funny because I did an, an interview about this recently. And in Vancouver, so like, let's say, again, going back to uh, you know, in this area, the average, and again, it's not just a high-level data point, the average unit price of housing is 1.1, 1.2 million across all product types, right? Um, and so if on a $100,000 salary, you can afford to borrow 
let's say 500,000, 400, 500,000 dollars, give or take, depending on how much of a mortgage you want to carry. Uh, and let's say you saved up a down payment, um, but you know life's expensive. Where's that differential coming from? The bank of mom and dad is a, is a factor in, in Vancouver proper. It probably, you know, in talking to some of our agents, maybe not all, but the vast majority of first time buyers in that sort of 20 to 35 age cohort. So that's one way in which it's, it's being addressed. Another way in which that question is playing out is internal migration, right? Mm -hmm. So during, it started during the pandemic. In that case, it was driven more by, because interest rates were really low, partly by price of housing, but partly by sort of lifestyle considerations. And now it's continued. And I think more facilitator fueled by housing prices, people are moving, they're moving to Alberta, they're moving to um, secondary markets or rural markets within British Columbia, where housing is cheaper. And if you're working remotely, or you can work somewhat remotely, they're taking advantage of, of that. And which is why I say your question is a great question, because it ties into so many other things It ties into the nature, to the nature of uh, to the nature of work, for example, and where where is that going and office vacancy, and, and, and those sorts of considerations. On the other hand, I was speaking with a, a parent at my son's school this morning. It's a private school, and and they're they're uh, financially um, well off, and so they during the pandemic moved to a secondary market. Now they moved back to Vancouver because because the educational opportunities in a big city there's special schools for specific needs, and you can't get that in some of these secondary markets, right? So it's it's not one way traffic. Far from it. And Canada has set and is achieving in, over the last few years very aggressive inbound migration, immigration targets, right? And so that will continue to put pressure on our major urban centers because most immigrants want to go where the jobs are. And so they'll come to Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary. Um, and so I think this, this process, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be ongoing. The other thing is, and I know there's been a lot of good research about this in the American context, uh, Jessica, currently we're not creating enough housing to meet the growth in demand, just in Canada in general. And the US, yep, same thing. So if you keep pouring more people through, through, like through natural population growth, like family formation or through immigration onto a constrained housing stock, then again, you, you, I'm not saying prices will go up forever, but the trend line is going to be up probably because you're going to have a, that sort of uh, upward pressure on pricing. So just talking macro in your regions, what are your predictions uh, in terms of how this is going to play out at least through the end of the year? Sure. So my prediction will be we're going to see we're going to see more of the same. We're in a very um, all the good agents right now. And you're probably hearing this from many, many of our friends within leading RE. All the good agents right now are really busy. The good brokerages are really busy. The conveyancing departments, um, deal closure people are really busy. So I, I don't foresee, Jessica, a major change. We're still at very low unemployment. So most people still have jobs. Um, yeah, you can get a, you can get a five-year fixed rate mortgage. Um, in, oh, by the way, Canadians, we don't generally, our financial institutions don't generally give mortgages that are fixed beyond 10 years. And, and even then you'll pay an interest rate premium for that. So most people here would do five-year fixed. Just You can amortize it longer, but the rate's only fixed for five years. Anyway, you can get a five-year fixed rate mortgage right now for 5%, which you know, it's higher than it was certainly a few years ago, but by historical standards, not outrageous. Uh, most, as I said, most people still have jobs. The vacancy rate in the rental market here is between one and 2%, right? So there's, if you want to rent, there's not a lot of options and it's expensive to rent. And so I, I don't see, I don't see any downward trend in, in, in pricing uh, between now and the end of the year in, at a macro level. Because again, like I said, I think there's roughly a million immigrants that have come in recently to Canada and uh, we're not creating we're not creating enough supply, meaningful amounts of supply that it's going to really tilt the scales. 
So let's talk about you for a second. You rejoined McDonald as president after a six-year term with Holborn Holdings. That's a development and property investment firm. Yes. First of all, what spurred that return? And also, I mean, given everything we just talked about, there is so much opportunity, but also so much to do. What are your key objectives for the company during this first part of your tenure back? <laughs> Another really simple. I know. You know yeah, softball. <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> yeah, yes or no? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jessica. No, those are excellent questions. So uh, I. Yeah, I worked for Holborn, the Holborn Group for the last six years. Had an amazing experience. I, I am still a huge fan of the organization and of the management team there. And I, you know, left on good terms. Uh, there was an opportunity. I always kept a good relationship with Lynn Sue, who is my CEO and the uh, owner of McDonald Real Estate Group. And there, there was a just there was an opportunity to come back, and um, it looked exciting. And a lot of the same people with whom I worked before. Uh, are still here, some of them in more senior roles, and that that was exciting. Um, and in terms of the the second half of your question, you know, what are I don't know, just paraphrasing, sort of what are my my kind of is it? Are you asking in an immediate term or kind of medium term? My goals for the organization? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great question. And I'm only about sixty days in, maybe a little more. So I'm still thinking about that. And I want to I want to have a lot more conversations. You know, the conference in Las Vegas in March was fantastic. I'd only been in the job like two days before I left to come down to Las Vegas. And so it was like drinking from a fire hose, reconnecting with so many friends through Leading RE. There's so many wonderful companies. And what I love about it, not that you're asking for a sales plug, but... I'll take one. Everyone's so transparent because we don't compete for the most part. If, if any regulators are listening, we compete heavily. We compete heavily. No, and we do. <laughs> I mean, we have we have Leading RE members in, our, in some of our markets. But even then... Yeah, we're, we're, the 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 DNA of the firms is so similar that you can share ideas and problem solve together, exactly. and so it was it was a wonderful relearning opportunity for me because real estate development and construction is part of the real estate business, but it's a different facet. You're very focused on construction prices and entitlements and 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 working with your architects and your banks and trying to get projects over the line. So I, I needed to, and I still need to reacquaint myself and ramp up on the brokerage and services side of the business. So one thing that's become clear to me, and I wrote an article about this for REM two weeks ago, uh, is that the most recent disruption, <laughs> massive disruption in artificial intelligence. And please don't ask me too many questions about it because I am certainly not an expert. We can ask Ch chat GBT if we have any clarification. Yeah, exactly. We'll bring them. They can be the third screen here. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So this is the latest and very, you know, very significant in a long series of technological disruptions that have impacted society in general and impacted what we do as, as real estate professionals. Yeah. And talking to some of my colleagues in the industry who've been doing this since the 1980s, a big one, and probably the biggest one still, even bigger than AI, was, was the internet itself and the availability of housing information, listing information online. Uh, some people thought that that would kill or seriously reduce the scope for what a real estate brokerage could do. But here we are, you know, broad adoption of the internet started in the 1990s, and yet real estate brokerages and real estate agents are still involved in the vast majority of transactions in the United States and in Canada. What does that tell you? Well, I think it, I would posit that amongst other things, it tells you that the more technological noise, the more data there is out there, the more people want and need a trusted advisor, right? I know I'm a real estate person, right? Personally, like in terms of my personal investments in commercial real estate, the home in which I live, I, I have a master's degree from Georgetown. That's not like a look at me statement. I'm just using it to, to prove a point. I always use realtors when I buy or sell, right? 
because I want I want advice. I want a trusted advisor to tell me what data is important and what data is irrelevant. What technological tools will actually help the home buying or occupying process and which tools will just be a distraction. So my goal and a goal in which I'm working with our management team is, and this is going to sound really old school and mundane and maybe whatever, but is to um, double down on improving the way in which we support our real estate agents, be it through training, be it through having the best managing brokers in the industry so that they can do what only they can do, which is getting in front of clients and putting deals together and being that trusted advisor, that you know irreplaceable role that a really good real estate agent can play. And so I'm just looking at our training and I'm looking at the uh, composition of our offices and looking at our management team and, and looking to see, again, I'm only at the beginning of this, but how can we enhance the support we're giving to agents so that they can do what only they can do and use technology to automate things that uh, technology can do better than humans. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I, I love the focus too on agent training because I think, and, and, and being that trusted advisor, because consumers right now are facing so much um, mm-hmm. in terms of the of what your agents are hearing right now and what you're helping coach them through in terms of those conversations, what are the primary concerns on the buyer and the seller side um, that they're having to grapple with right now? Right. And I think this is similar in the United States. So in a period of low inventory on the seller side, a primary concern is, okay, great. I can probably get a decent price for my house, but then where am I going to go? Now I flip to that buyer quandary, right? Yeah. I'm going to wake up the next morning in the same low inventory environment where you're getting anything that's priced well is getting 13 offers. And then, but I'm going to be the one making those offers, right? So there's, there's that. And on the buying side, it's just the reverse of the same thing. It's, it's um, buyers are frustrated, right? I talked to friends of mine uh, over the weekend who I know socially and yeah, they're, they're getting frustrated. They're getting burnt out. And they, these are dream buyers. They're, they're writing cash offers. They kind of know exactly what they're looking for and they're getting blown out of the water and it's really, really frustrating. And so that's why we need to take the data that's out there and condense it down to what's relevant for our agents so that they can explain, and, and most of them do an excellent job of this, explain to their clients what's going on, right? We're at a, as I said, we're at one of the lowest periods of inventory that we've seen in the last 30 years. That's one factor. Um, prices are going up. So low inventory, prices going up means you're seeing multiple offers on anything that's sort of priced reasonably. And that means that buyers and sellers, especially buyers, have to be realistic about how long this is going to take and what you're going to have to do. What tools are your agents using right now, whether they're offered by McDonald's or spreadsheets that they carry around with them? What are they using to navigate and to help their consumers navigate all of this? Yeah, great question. Uh, I don't have a, you know, with so many agents in our company, uh, the, the answer varies a little bit from agent to agent. We're certainly trying to support them in adopting. We have a, a CRM that, that they can sort of get for free when they join us and be it that or another solution. We're encouraging them to take advantage of stuff like, like a properly resourced and constructed CRM, again, to automate tasks that, <laughs> that can be automated so that they can focus on talking to their sphere of influence learning more about real estate. And one thing that we've been encouraging people to, I've been encouraging agents to do in conversations is, look, even if you don't have any, um, let me give you an example. Even if you don't have any buyers right now or, or only one or two, so you're not that busy. We, we arranged an event with a, a local real estate developer and uh, it was like a preview of an upcoming project that they have. Now, 
I don't know uh, how this plays out in the American context, but what's happening here right now is that because the resale inventory is so low, a lot of people are pivoting and buying a presale. They're putting a deposit down saying, okay, well, that townhome or whatever we built in two years, and I'll just rent in the meantime. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I say, hey, I said to a few agents, you have to, like, this is almost mandatory. You have to come to this preview because you're going to you're meet the developer. You're going to learn about the market. You're going to learn about the product. And this is part of your education and part of the value proposition you can bring to your clients is you, you have this knowledge and you have this access. Um, and you've actually seen it with your own eyes, which again, something that technology or that a robot can't do. So, sorry, not a very good answer to your question, Jessica, but. It's a great answer. Um, so I'm going to break it down a little bit. If you had to send your agents out with one thing, whether it's a concept or a tool or whatever, to go out into the current environment, what would that one thing or concept or tool be? Oh my gosh. I have to pick one? <laughs> one. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. It's a phrase. Can I use a phrase? Yes. It's multiple words, but one idea. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's about people. Yeah. Business is about people. Get in front of people. Talk to people. Do not spend nine months, if you're new, do not spend nine months, uh, you know, working on your freaking website and your social media platform. Right. Please note, I didn't swear there. Right. Um, yeah, I love that you and I have gotten through this so far with zero potty mouth. I feel exactly. like we deserve a drink after this for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so don't no, don't don't do that. We we can provide our agents with a serviceable, very respectable, nice looking website on day one with virtually no work. Right, that's one of the things that we provide. Yeah, and a CRM. You have to learn how to use a CRM, but we can help you with that too. Get out there and get in front of human beings. If you can't, you know, in the morning, get in front of a human being and build a relationship. In the afternoon. Uh, go to go to the developer event we organize, or go to another sales center, or go to an open house. Learn about the market, build relationships, and also build relationships with your sphere of influence and potential clients. Build relationships with other realtors in your office and other realtors at other companies, because these are the people with whom you're going to do deals. Those deals will be easier if you know each other. And you know, I think I feel like, and I've been saying this for like ten years, so it's not new. But I'll give you an example. Can I give you an example? Yeah. So my brother and I were trying to buy a, a rental property, and so I went to the open house and. Uh, back then, a lot of buildings, condo buildings in Vancouver had rental restrictions imposed by the strata or what you guys call the HOA, yep. right? Uh, and so I asked the listing agent, I said, hey, um, what are the rental restrictions in this building? Oh, I'll get back to you. I said, okay, cool. Here's my card. Here's my, you know, I didn't hear back. This is an endemic problem, right? And so I, I always tell our agents, our new agents, especially like, just do the things that you say you're going to do right? Show up on time, be properly dressed, be well-informed. If you say you're going to look into something, look into it and get back to the person within 24, 48 hours with a well-worded email or a phone call. If you do some of these basic things, you will uh, set yourself apart. Let's put it that way. It's sad to say, isn't it? But anyway, back to your question. It's about people. So get in front of people. Always. That's our, that's our ultimate business. Okay. Going to the other side of things in terms of all of the just quote unquote disruptive technology, all of the online tools, all the rest of it, um, we've seen so much come online. Some of it's great. Some of it is a passing fad. Um, yep. What do you see as sort of on both sides of that? What do you think has, has caught the attention the most of the industry and is going to stick around? And what's one of those things that's just fluff that's going to go away? Mm. Well, great question. Um, I, I'm a little hesitant on the fluff piece only because I'll probably be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. Um, no, we've already seen it, right? Haven't we? We've already seen it um, on both sides of the border over the last 24 months. And I won't say it's fluff, 
Um, but the, 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 and there was a Canadian version of this or two Canadian versions of this, but the, uh, what do they call it? The, um, I buyer phenomenon, yeah. certainly yeah. not fluff. They did a lot of transactions, but you just see the limit. And I wrote about this in that, that piece I published, you see the inherent limitations of technology in responding to a fluid dynamic and sometimes rapidly changing market in these massive, uh, financial losses that these I buyer platforms posted. Now, I think some of them have survived. I think Open Doors survived and they're pivoting and they're going to figure it out. And a lot of smart people there. So um, not to say that that will go away. And that's what's really interesting, though, is that Jessica, didn't that give some people what they thought that they wanted? You know what I mean? I hate realtors, they'd say. I hate real. Okay, great. So you can sell your home to an algorithm in like 24 or 48 hours, like fast, easy, but you're going to be selling at a discount, right? You're, you are going to take a haircut on that because that's how they're going to turn around and then sell. They got to make money somehow. That's it's a business. Well, they thought they could turn around and sell. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Right. But in terms of what I think will stick around, um, I think it'll be in the first instance, I think AI and kind of generative AI has the potential and it probably already is um, greatly kind of in enabling the real estate search process, just making it faster and easier. So you can put in more. And Mike Delpret talked about this, right? You put in these these these, this like grid line of, of sort of preferences and geographical constraints. And instantaneously, you're going to get that, that homes, both in a subjective and objective sense, kind of conform to what you're looking for. And that's going to save realtors an enormous amount of time, which I, again, is a good thing because that is a sort of a analytical data exercise that if realtors can, if AI can enable that, that means realtors can spend more time sort of um, explaining the process to their buyers or to their sellers building relationships with potential buyers and sellers, um, advising on all the subjective parts of buying a home, right? It's an intensely objective and subjective experience when you're talking about somewhere where you're going to raise your children. You know what I mean? This is not just an investment. Um, so I think on the kind of data analytics, big data search side, I think um, this new technology is and will do really exciting things that will um, save realtors and brokerages time for us, uh, our our compliance regime here uh, in British Columbia and Canada more generally, every year gets more complex. I'm hopeful that technology will also help us to uh, do our compliance function as a brokerage um, more efficiently. Because again, finding and retaining really good managing brokers is tough. And I would love for our managing brokers to have more time working with agents and less time worrying about uh, paperwork and like regulatory stuff. Canadian brokerage and Canadian real estate has maybe more of a reputation, but it's historically thought of, I think, in, in the global brokerage community as pretty big box focus, big names, big franchises, but that's changing. Um, more consumers, more top agents seem to be really gravitating toward independent companies, top independent con companies like McDonald. What do you think is causing that change? Um, and second part, because I'm really second parting you on this interview yeah, yeah. here, but like, yeah. where does McDonald fit in with all of that? How have you been? How have you been helping to spur this this change in dynamic with your consumers, yeah. independent brokerages? It's an awesome question. Not to dodge the question, but even within British Columbia, there's enormous differences with between different submarkets as to how that question plays out. But speaking, so speaking, trying to speak in more macro terms, given the uh, exponentially rapid rate of technological change, and also, again, a lot of uh, regulatory change and challenges, independent brokerages, even large independent brokerages, um, such as we have many in leading RE, can be more nimble and more responsive, right? Because you don't have thousands of franchise agreements 
that you have to sort of balance off. You have you have one owner or a small group of owners who are in touch with the business and can make decisions, <laughs> right? And so that helps. And for better or for worse, we've sort of doubled down or are in the process of continuing to double down on physical space. Now, the way in which that physical space is used um, by both staff and agents has certainly changed during and since the pandemic, but we still believe in physical space, especially for real estate teams, but also for many individual real estate agents. And many of our offices are as busy now as they were pre-2020. And so our niche, and not just us, there's other really good full service firms that are of the same mindset. You know, Jessica, we will never be the cheapest place to work for an agent. There will always be someone cheaper. You can never win on that. Just as soon as you think you're the cheapest, someone will find a way to undercut you. So we don't try to compete on price, uh, right? We try to compete on the the value that we provide the agents, right? Providing them with tools and support to do things that is not the highest and best use of their time. Um, Providing them with well-designed offices that are nice places to work where our management team can help them solve, help them and by extension, their clients solve real pain. And we've been able to recruit and grow with that philosophy. Lin Su bought the company, my boss, in the early 1990s when it was one office and 60 people. And now it's 20 offices and 11 or 1200 people. And that, but that core philosophy has been consistent all the way through. And there's been many, many low cost, um, either just outright low cost brokerage models or these alternate sort of brokerage business models that have come and gone, you know, over that kind of 30 plus years. So truly setting your people up for real success, lasting success. That's the goal. And that's why um, our offices, for the most part, there are some sort of historical, what you call um, arrangements that we had to honor when we, when we acquire new companies or whatever. But most of our offices and most of our agents are on some version of a split compensation plan because when I sit down with an agent, I can look them in the eye and say, truthfully, I need you to succeed because we don't make money till you make money. As opposed to a, a desk fee, deal fee model, which is case, and then it just becomes a headcount game. You know, I don't care if I have 400 agents, one managing broker, as long as you guys pay your desk fees, that's fine. That's, that's my revenue model. That's not how we work. We need our agents to be successful. Unbelievably, it is the bottom of the hour. Um, this has flown by, but I have to ask you my last closing question before we go, uh, which is what is your number one go-to piece of advice for leaders and one that you remind yourself of as well? Um, when things get tough. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Great question. I have a three-part answer. Am I allowed to have a three-part answer? I've had two-part questions for you this whole time, so go for it. Uh, my advice is, it's just my opinion based on my experience. The number one job of a leader is to support and, how shall I say, increase the capacity of, of those that you lead, right? Help them to do more. Help them to be the best versions of themselves in a professional sense. And, and sometimes it goes beyond that too, right? Helping to be that professional piece, helping them be the best version of themselves. So that's the number one thing is to support, think about your team and support those people. Or when you're hiring, bring in the right people that are better than you and smarter than you and you know, just support them and help them achieve as much as they can achieve. That's the first thing. Second thing is, what's the word? Coach the athlete, right? Different people on your team need different things. They need to be communicated with in different ways. That doesn't mean you're a sociopath. That means that you're trying to meet your people where they're at. With some people, you can be very direct and linear. With other people, the conversations are going to be a bit longer and there's going to be a bit more support that you have to give before you give criticism and redirection. So don't have a one kind of top down, hey, this is how I lead. You have to coach the athlete. And the third thing is never stop, never stop learning. That's it. I love it. 
I always enjoy talking to you, Jonathan. It is a real good thing for the Leading RE Network that you are back with us. Thank you for joining for this half hour. And in the meantime, keep plugging away. You're doing great things. Thank you, Jessica. It's been an honor to be here. I am, I am thrilled. I think as I told you in Las Vegas, I'm thrilled to be back um, working with Paul and yourself and the whole Leading RE team and Billy. It has been so much fun and I've learned so much already. And so, yeah, really looking forward to working with you guys in the future. And thank you for having me on. Thank you. Talk to you soon.